Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. G'day and welcome to Movember Radio. Thanks for listening. I'm Osher Ginsberg. So grateful you're here. This is a weekly podcast focusing on men's health and the issues that men face today. Each week we're going to speak with someone from the Movember community worldwide who is passionate about changing the face of men's health. To make sure you never miss an episode, simply subscribe to the show on iTunes or the podcast app of your choice. You can also hear us at MovemberRadio.com. Thanks to everybody that supported us in the opening week of the show. Thank you so much. If it's for you, the one thing we'd ask you uh, to help get the word out in these early weeks, rate and review this show in the iTunes store. That really helps us enormously. Uh, Also, if you feel like it, share about it on Facebook or just pick up someone's phone and show them how to listen to podcasts and maybe download this one. Today, my guest is former SAS soldier Robin Horsfall. Robin joined the British Army at 15 and was accepted into the SAS by the time he was 21 years old. As part of his service, he took part in the historic SAS counter-terrorism raid that ended the Iranian embassy siege in London in 1980. Robin not only talks about that day with us, but also about the bond between men in the SAS, and more importantly, what it is to come back to civilian life after having seen the horrors of war. Now, a note for the faint of stomach, Robin gets pretty descriptive when he talks about his time as a contract soldier, particularly in Mozambique. So if you're triggered by those kinds of things, just skip ahead a minute or two when we do get to that part. Robin is a man who's seen and done so much in the face of enormous peril, but He also has an interesting perspective on health, mental health, discipline, and the importance of mates. I'm very grateful that Robin is a part of the Movember community, and I'm grateful that I get to share this conversation with you today. Where do we find you today, Robin? I'm at home in the middle of Hampshire in England. Now, for folks who don't know what that looks like, could you describe uh, that part of the world? Uh, it's um, heathland, uh, countryside, farms, lots of green grass, uh, rolling hills, south downs, 20 miles uh, north of the south coast of uh, England. Sounds pretty lovely. Is that where you grew up? Uh, yeah, it's close to where I was born, but uh, I came back here about 10 years ago after having uh, spent a lot of time, most of my life away from the age of 15. Um, it's like a salmon swimming up river, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> so when, when you were a kid growing up nearby, what did your parents do? Well, 
when I was um, when I was born, um, my father was a criminal. He was in prison, and uh, so I never knew him, and I never ever did know him really. He divorced my mother, or my mother divorced him when I was seven. And uh, my stepfather adopted me, so his name was Geoffrey Horsfall and gave me his name. Um, I grew up as the uh, child of, an, of a soldier uh, in Aldershot, which isn't far from here. And uh, had quite a, quite a happy childhood in uh, Britain, uh, quite secure. Went off to Germany for three years, um, lived in Germany. My father was a soldier in the British Army of the Rhine. And then returned when I was 11, uh, back, to, back to Farnham in England. Right, and so I'm guessing being a, a military kid, the idea of being in the military was a fairly natural one for you? Uh, no, not really. Um, I passed um, an exam called my 11 plus when I was, uh, when I was 11 years old and went to uh, being an army brat. Um, <laughs> it was a bit of a shock to go to a middle-class Surrey grammar school and uh, struggled uh, to, to a degree to fit into that environment and the change in life to my parents was uh, quite striking because um, their marriage started to fall apart as mm. the um, military security disappeared. So um, I went from being a very good student to being the school truant. And uh, um, but at the age of 14, I wanted to be a nuclear physicist. And at the age of 15, I uh, left school and joined the army. <laughs> well, 15 is... Uh... Yeah. Fifteen, uh, you're you're a kid at fifteen, but that, yeah, you, yeah, you left school. School leave at age was fifteen at that time. Yeah, oh, right. I remember when I was fifteen. I think I, I thought I was a man, but I was I was a boy. What was it like to suddenly be surrounded not just by men in the army, but the most alpha of alpha, the the strongest of warriors? Well, um, it was a two thousand member. Uh, battalion of called the Infantry Junior Leaders Battalion. So we were boy soldiers all between the age of 15 and 17 and a half. And when you were 17 and a half, then you went to join your adult battalion. Uh. But in that uh, two years, you you learned how to be a, uh, a a professional soldier to a very high degree. And um, by the age of 17 and a half, you were already technically qualified to be a full corporal in a, in a regular unit. For me, it was... Um, a substitute family. It was a place where I could go and belong. My family had fallen apart at home. My parents got divorced. So I needed somewhere, and I needed mentors, and I needed guidance, and I needed I needed guys that I could look up to and respect. And um, soldiers were exactly the type of people. When you're a young man, um, it's no good the, the local priest or the local policeman or the headmaster telling you how you should behave. You you need somebody you can look up to and say, hey, I want to be like that guy. And um, very few of us want to be the headmaster when we're 15 years old. Absolutely. Going from the, the school truant to such a, a structured existence, you know, yeah. Robin, you get up at this time of day, Robin, you eat at this time of day. Like, that must have been quite a shock, or was it? Was did you like it? Yeah, I think um, some people out there might remember the uh, film um, Officer and Gentleman, where the star of the show is actually is actually stuck in the military and uh, one of the sergeants kicks the hell out of him in a fight and he says, why don't you go home? And he says, I've got nowhere else to go. And I think at that time I was pretty much that person. I stuck with it because I didn't want to go home. There was no home to go to. So um, I didn't have a great deal of choice right. and I worked my way through it. I found it very difficult. Um, I hadn't had a great deal of guidance from my stepfather and um, it was a difficult time, but it was a formative time, and I'm glad I did it. So what about when you're 17 and a half and then you go into the adult 
ranks and you're there alongside, you know, men who haven't gone through that path. Did you feel a sense of, well, I know exactly what I'm doing, but you don't quite know what you're doing? Well, I joined, uh, I went on for 17 and a half of the parachute regiment. Wow. Now, anybody that knows anything about paratroopers is, they're stormtroopers, they're crazy, they're ab- absolutely, <laughs> absolutely wild, but they're, they're amazing, they're amazing soldiers. And so you turn up there at 17 and a half and all your problems get sorted out with your fists. So there's a strange kind of integrity to that, that you don't have festering resentments because everybody sorts out their issues. Everybody's expected to be tough. Everybody's expected to stand up for themselves. And so, you know, in many ways, I learned, I learned to do exactly that. And I did uh, several tours of uh, Northern Ireland and, um, you know, and had a, a very interesting and uh, uh, experience with the Parachute Regiment. Um, they were great guys and they still are great guys and they still do a very, very important job. Mate, you were 21 years old, still a young man when you volunteered to join the SAS, but you failed at your first attempt to get in. How did you handle that failure? I'd, um, I've got two photographs in one of my photograph albums. One of me, the first time I, took, I, I, I turned up to take SAS selection, and one uh, when I got held over to take it again. And the difference in physical appearance is quite striking. Um, the first time I did it, I wasn't mentally prepared or physically prepared enough to do the job in spite of being, uh, having been a soldier for five years. The second time I did it, which was uh, six months later, um, I had that six months to prepare. I was in much better physical condition, and, uh, and I got through it uh, quite comfortably. It was incredibly hard. I mean, most people think that SAS selection is a month in the mountains, but in fact, it takes a year and um, you, do, you do your mountain work, you do your continuation training, you do your combat survival. If you're not already a paratrooper, then you, um, you go and do your parachute training, and then you join your squadron, um, and then you're on probation for six months, and you have to learn a personal skill, and you have to learn a troop skill. My personal skill was paramedicine, and my troop skill was mountain climbing. And that, after that year, if they like you, they let you stay for another two. So it's, uh, it's quite an awful, it's an awful lot to do. When you got in, you, you talk about you know, problems being sorted out with your fist in your earlier unit, but when you make it into the SAS and you're in this tight group of men that have all gone through that same gruelling selection process, what's the bond like between the men in that unit? It's not as close, strangely enough, huh. because they come from all different regiments. Uh, some of them come from corps. So we used to describe this. They haven't gone through the same sausage machine. <laughs> when you go through um, an infantry unit into your infantry battalion, you're as strong as the weakest man, and there's the weakest man on different days, and you operate as a team constantly. When you get into special forces, you're selected as an individual, and the problem with um, having too many individuals who are very, very strong characters is they all think that they should be the person in charge. And there were rules that didn't exist in the parachute regiment. You weren't allowed to fight amongst yourselves. There were very, very strict uh, rules laid down. And consequently, people didn't get to sort out a lot of their problems. So there was uh, an element of paranoia that crept in. SAS soldiers um, have been described as uh, a bit like the Irish. When they're not fighting somebody else, they're fighting one another. (laughs) And um, uh, they're very, very good at what they do but they need to be doing something all the time. They need to be busy. Well, I guess, you know, that's what, what you're trained for. You're trained for this very, very, to quote Liam Neeson, the specific set of skills, you know. And then yeah. in the downtime, how do, you, how do you keep the hands busy? How do you keep those guys focused? 
Well, you send them on courses, you, you learn languages, you learn explosives, you learn signals. Um, it's very, very important to keep the guys constantly uh, motivated and constantly busy. Um, there's nothing worse than a bored soldier, especially a bored Special Forces soldier. Um, an awful lot of them uh, have broken marriages. Uh, they, need to, they need to be very, very busy all the time. Robin, I'm, I'm sure you've talked about it a thousand times, so I won't ask you about that day at the Iranian embassy in London in 1980. But, and if you don't want to talk about it, I'm happy. Mate, but what happened afterwards? Was it just another day at work, or did that day have a lasting effect on you? Um, it, was, it was, yeah, it was just another day at work. You got back, and it could have happened again a few days later, so you had to be ready to go. You had to be on two-hour standby for um, something that might happen again. So in many ways... To us, as uh, anonymous, hidden-away soldiers, we went back to Hereford where we got our kit sorted out within 24 hours and we were ready to do the job again if it was required. But things did change because it was in the public domain. It was on national television. It was on international television. And for a while afterwards, we became uh, everybody's um, favourite visit, everybody who's famous members of the royal family, generals, chiefs of police, people from foreign countries... And so rather than being um, SAS standing for sex and soldiering, it suddenly started to stand for something else, which, um, you know, it wasn't what we were used to. We weren't used to being known about. We were Fred Carnot's army stuck away in darkest, darkest Wales, and uh, nobody knew much about us. And all of a sudden, we were every, everybody's favourite people. It really was like one of the first... I mean, the, the Munich Olympics was definitely worldwide, but it wasn't quite televised as, like, that was live. People watched it happen and unfold live on television. That was one of the yeah. first times it happened. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was in response to the Munich disaster that um, countries started to form their own counter-terrorist units. Fortunately, we were the first country with the opportunity to put that into, to use it in a positive way, uh, as we did on that day. It was a short mission. It took uh, less than 15 minutes from start to finish, but it was successful. And it was only 10 days after the Americans had tried to rescue their own people in their embassy in Tehran, and it had all gone wrong. And, um, you know, so it was a big lift to the Western world. What kind of... Obviously, you knew the stuff that happened with the, the Americans a few days beforehand. So when you're on the way there, did you feel pressure or did you just... Did you go, I've trained for this, I know these guys, I know exactly what's going to happen, were you, were you calm, how did it work? Yeah, I mean, we were, we were quite excited, we hoped it would happen. Um, we didn't want the her hostage negotiators to be successful, we wanted to do the job, we'd trained for it, we'd practiced for it, a bit like, imagine um, a Formula One driver training to drive a Formula One but never getting to drive a Grand Prix. We had this opportunity and um, we, we took it, and we took it uh, very well and very effectively. Um, it was what we lived for. It was what we wanted to do. And we didn't, um, we didn't, you didn't worry about the consequences. You just wanted to go and do the job. Mate, a few years uh, after you, you left the military service, you worked as a contract soldier for a while. Yeah. How do you even get started in that line of work? There's probably no ad in the paper, is there? Like, do they uh, head? No. Well, I, I bought myself out of the British military when I was 27. Yeah. And went to, uh, initially I went to work as a bodyguard for Mohammed Al-Fayed in London. And good money, but uh, boring. And after a year, I went off to Sri Lanka to work as a contract soldier over there. But when you've, um, especially at that time, when you were ex-Special Air Service, there were companies out there that were trying to, that always made sure that if you were available, if you were on the market, they'd let you know where they were. 
and um, they're still around. Um, there's more of them now, and the money's better. But, um, you know, you're a commodity, you're usable, and you've got a reputation that can be, can be sold to foreign countries. Um, a lot of the time, you know, the word mercenary isn't always appropriate because you're very much a contract soldier, and that usually means a training officer. You're there to train people. But once you get involved, you very often end up involved in the combat without, um, without uh, that being an initial part of your mission. Mate, you've talked openly about uh, where, you, where you did some... Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You've, you've said that you worked in Sri Lanka, you worked in Lebanon, you worked in, in Mozambique, and yeah. you've talked that you, you saw some terrible things when you were over there. Were you able to leave those things in those countries or did they follow you home? Um, yeah, they did follow me home um, from Mozambique, and I didn't realize it at the time. Um, I think people with um, uh, any kind of stress disorders don't think there's anything wrong with them. I certainly didn't. I came home. My wife had the big banners outside, welcome home, daddy. But I just left an environment where, you know, my soldiers were dying because the food was getting stolen. They were dying of malaria. Children were dying of starvation. Saw the body of one woman who had a head cut off because uh, somebody stole a bunch of bananas off her. So you go from that environment and you get home in January, and uh, your wife's showing you uh, videos of your children getting all their Christmas presents and uh, eating lots of food and stuff going in the bin. And the most important thing is that the milkman hasn't left the milk on the door this morning. And uh, it's very, very hard to switch from one environment to another in a short space of time. And she said I was very, very aggressive, and um, we, had, we had some problems for a while until I uh, realized that there was a big, a serious issue. And uh, I went and got some counseling with a guy called Richard Tunessi in Putney in, uh, in London, uh, which was incredibly helpful and helped me realize that it was my behavior that needed to change, not everybody else's, and um, managed to rebuild um, what I was losing. So, yeah, it did come home with me. Mate, I think the thing that 
really sticks with me that what you just said, not only, you know, the, the horrible things you described, but the fact that you didn't think there was anything wrong. No, um, I think as a, as a soldier, you grow up in an environment where you, you're expected to take it on the chin, you never whine, you never, you never cry, you never tell other people your problems, uh, you're always expected to be as tough as the, the next guy. And uh, bumping into friends my own age now, um, a lot of us found that we, um, we were concerned and worried and troubled by an awful lot of the same things at the same time, but we were never allowed to discuss it or we, would, we never had the confidence to discuss it amongst ourselves. You never admitted you were scared. You never admitted that things bothered you. You never, you, you were just expected to get up and get on with it. When you come back to your home country, is it difficult to find someone to talk to because you think, well, they can't possibly understand because they haven't seen yeah. what I've seen? It is impossible. You need to be with uh, you need to be with your former comrades. You need to be with guys that have been through the same things with you, yeah. and you need to talk to them. Um, counselors of you know the first re- response to a counselor is well, you've never been there. You don't understand, uh-huh. and whether they do or don't doesn't really matter. The fact is, it's how you feel. And old comrades associations and hanging out with your mates, having that time with uh, people who have had similar experiences is uh, is a useful thing. And I think former soldiers should actually be encouraged to take up jobs as counsellors because they'll have the confidence of the guys um, that civilian counsellors don't necessarily have. Mm. Where where I live in in North America and and certainly back in Australia, there's many men and women that are coming back from battle who are left with scars that they carry inside them. What would you want? Yeah. What would you want civilians to know about what it is to come back from military service? Um, it's very hard to tell a civilian. Um, it's it's a bit like trying to tell a blind man what a colour is. Hmm. You can't. You can't expect them to understand. You have to experience it. So, I would think. Um, you know, don't don't be too judgmental. On the other hand, there is a tendency these days for an awful lot of people to jump on the bandwagon and to say, oh, I'm traumatized, I need help. A lot of the times they're not helping themselves. So, you know, there's, there's a situation where there's a small number of people with serious issues and there's, there's another group of people that um, want to be, that want the attention, that want to say, oh, I was in such and such country. I was in Afghanistan, I was in Iraq, I was in this country, I was in that country. And they want the world to think that they're traumatized. They want the world to think that they're sad. And I've said to a few of these people, as an ex-soldier that's been there, and I've actually turned around to them and said, look, mate, you know, these people are here to help you, but stop being such a, you know, what, and uh, get off your backside and start helping yourself as well. So there's, there's a downside to encouraging people to go and look for help. Sometimes they need to help themselves as well. What kind of action does helping yourself look like? I think that you have to take positive steps. I mean, there's a, there's a thing called negative reinforcement where people keep going back over the same old stuff time and time again, crying about it, whining about it, getting on it. And, and sometimes, you know, with all the help in the world that's available these days, they still need to help themselves. It's a bit like an alcoholic. You know, an alcoholic needs to admit that he's got a problem and it needs to, he needs to take some actions on his own behalf to deal with it. And then you've got a team working together. But all the time, somebody's just sitting around saying, oh, it's not my fault. You don't know what it was like. You know, it was sad for me. It was difficult for me. Um, then they're not helping themselves. So it's, there's a balance there. People have, to, people have to work on their own behalf as well. If people are listening that are in, in the military or have just left the military, what, what would you say to them? 
I would say um, spend your time with your old mates. Spend, spend your time with, um, join um, veterans organisations. Um, hang out with guys with similar experiences to you. Don't lose touch with them. Um, but put your family first. It's always put, you've always got to put your family first because your family will be with you till the, till the day you die. Your mates, they'll move on. They'll do other things. They've got their own families. So, you know, it's your family that's going to stick with you when, when, when everything else uh, falls by the wayside. You uh, talked earlier about the discipline of, of being in the military and after uh, some sometime later in your life, you took up martial arts. What did the discipline of martial arts do for you? Um, well, I took up martial arts when I was 23, so I was already a Special Forces soldier. I knew how to fight, and I knew how to fight viciously, but um, a lot of the time I was fighting because I was scared of getting hurt. Uh, martial arts is one, what I call one of the three psychological steps uh, in my life that's calmed me down. Um, martial arts calmed me down. It gave me a lot of self-confidence. Once I knew I had the uh, ability to defend myself against uh, most people who tend to do an awful lot of talking but not an awful lot of acting, then I stopped being worried about people doing a lot of talking. Um, the other step was my wife, who I met when I was 20 years old, uh, 21 years old, and I'm still with now, 36 years later. And the other one was my children. You know, your wife gives you questioning love, your children give you unquestioning love. And that, combined with the confidence that martial arts gave me, um, made me a much more well-rounded, I think, and um, decent human being. Was it the physicality of the martial arts? Was it the, 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 the methodical discipline of it? What was it? Yeah, I think, I think it was a discipline, and it's an individual discipline rather than a team discipline. Um, so you have to do it on your own. There's no hiding place on a martial arts dojo. On the mat, you know, you're up against somebody, you're facing them. It's not as real as facing somebody with a rifle or with a, with a gun, but um, it's, certainly, it's certainly man-to-man, face-to-face, eye-to-eye, and um, you're as good as your skills. There's, there's, no, there's no place to hide. It's a pure skill. It's a bit like rock climbing. When you're out on the rock and you're leading a climb, it's the same thing. There's you against the rock. If you get it wrong, you fall. If you get it wrong when you're fighting somebody, you fall as well, and you learn lessons that way. Mate, you have a very successful martial arts school, 800 to 1,000 students at the moment. What do you yeah. like about running that school? Well, my, um, I had to retire from it a few years ago because I broke my neck oh. doing karate. Crikey. And uh, I was actually training with my son, Alex, at the time. Uh, Alex is now the chief instructor, and uh, he, he, runs, um, he runs that. We've got over 1,000 children between the age of 4 and uh, 15, and we've got about 50 adults as well. It's a full-time business uh, in southwest London. And, um, you know, we're, we're very good, but we, we concentrate very much on personal development. So it's not about winning competitions and prizes. It's about good manners, self-discipline, respect for parents and teachers, taking responsibility for your own actions, and using the discipline of martial arts to give them self-esteem and self-confidence. Um, I think if you make a person happy and confident in themselves, you actually end up with a happy and confident adult later on. Man, if if only I had. I remember my mum put me in uh, taekwondo when we were we were kids, but we never got that self confidence thing out of that. Uh, it's uh, schools as good as its teachers. Uh. Um, whether it be a comprehensive school, a martial arts school, or any other kind of school, it's only as good as the teachers. And like attracts like. If you've got a teacher that's a complete fitness fanatic, you'll only keep fitness fanatics. If you've got a teacher who's a bully, he'll only keep bullies, and so on and so on. <laughs>
Mate, uh, you have a superb year-round moustache. Uh, yeah. What, what was it that drew you to Movember, Robin? Um, several things. Um, I'm, a absolute, I'm a rugby union fanatic. Um, when I was a young man, I played uh, three, for three different teams every week, Wednesday, Saturday and Sunday, and I adore rugby. And uh, rugby became the front line for uh, Movember in this country anyway. And uh, my son, Alex, is also a rugby fanatic. My grandsons uh, were given rugby balls the day they were born. <laughs> and, you know, it became a, a charity, what, maybe it's in the last 10 years, and over here especially. And it's fun. And so me ha- always having a um, mustache, um, when Movember came around, um, I would say at the, end of, at the end of November, I would shave it off. And so, uh, which was a great shock to my wife because she doesn't like me without a mustache. I've uh, had it since I was 17 years old and only ever shaved it off twice. And on one of those occasions, it was for Movember. <laughs> um, uh, what attracted um, cancer is always, it's, it's an issue in everybody's life, whether it be prostate cancer, whether it be uh, lung cancer or breast cancer. It's, it's, the, it's the scourge of the 21st century. And we all know somebody who has died or is suffering with uh, one of these diseases. And anything we can do to make people more confident in themselves so they can go and get checked and prevent themselves from doing it too late is worth doing. Um, I went and had myself checked uh, on a couple of occasions for uh, prostate cancer. And uh, fortunately, um, they were both, both times they were negative. But it's well worth doing. And I recommend anybody to go away. Uh, especially persons of certain age or especially if you've got any uh, issues with um, flow of urine to, uh, to go and get checked. Um, it doesn't take more than 10 minutes and um, it'll put your mind at rest and it'll put your family's mind at rest as well. Yeah, you mentioned a very important thing. that It's not, it's not just you, it's your family as well, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you get sick, you, you, if you, get sick, you, you tend to worry about the people you're going to leave behind. You don't worry too much about yourself. That's the, that's the way most people act. Um, so, you know, get out there and get checked because it's those people that are left behind that are going to suffer if, um, if you get really, really sick. And prostate cancer does kill, still kill a lot of people, especially when it's found late. Mm. Mate, I'm very grateful that we could speak today. I have, I have just a few more questions, but you mentioned yeah, that you've go. been married for since you were 20 years old. 20, uh, I met Heather when I was on SS selection when I was 21. I married her when I was 24, and uh, we're still together now. Yeah, here's here's the question: what's what's the secret? <laughs> what's the secret to uh, a to a healthy relationship? Uh, the best thing would be uh, really to ask her what's the secret. How the hell did she manage to? I said uh, I often stand up in my motivational talks and say, "You want to see tough? Look at her over there. She's the one that's tough. <laughs> She's the one that had to put up with the stuff. She's the one that had to look after the kids." She's the one that um, knew that I was abroad and wasn't allowed to know where I was. Um, she's the one that, uh, you know, uh, sat at home and did all the hard work while I was out having my adventures. You've got to have a very, very special person. I think uh, you've got to need one another. You've got to love one another. And you've got to remember what's important. You know, and the one uh, I've had some younger friends and uh, my children have got married. And I've said to them, you know, one of the biggest... Um, secrets of a long marriage if you had to put it in one word would be forgiveness the ability to forgive one another mate those are wise words there robin okay so we finish uh, this these conversations with the same three questions for everybody during november what kind of convers- what kind of conversations do you have with men about their health 
Um, well, I had the opportunity. Um, it's the same sort of conversation um, I just described, you know. Uh, get checked, get out of there. Preferably choose a doctor with small fingers. <laughs> 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 because um, small fingers make it a lot easier. Uh, and, and, and don't be worried about it. Get out there and uh, the earlier you get it, the, the, sooner, um, the sooner it can be resolved. If you could pick up a phone and call your 18-year-old self, what would you tell young Robin? Oh, uh, I think I, wanna, I would say um, if I had to go back to the time when I was more like 15, yeah. the advice I would have given myself was the first person that hits you, hit them back. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, what do you appreciate most in your friends? Um, I think I appreciate their time. I appreciate the um, the chance to just sit and chew the fat and uh, over a quiet drink. And um, I'm I'm also very appreciative of the fact that some of them actually want to spend their time with me. Robin, it's been an absolute pleasure to speak with you. It's uh, a real privilege to hear what you had to say today. Thanks for joining us today, mate. Thank you. Thanks. Nice talking to you too. That was Robin Horsfall. I'm sure you'd agree. Quite a man, quite a story. You can read more about it in his book, Fighting Scared, which is out now. Thank you so much for listening. If you need anything through the week, movemberradio.com or search Movember on Facebook. Once again, if you like what you heard today, rate and comment us in iTunes and just tell a friend. This episode was produced by Molly Hindman for Movember and myself, Osher Ginsberg. Audio production by Daryl Misson and music by Toehider. Thank you so much for listening. Talk to you next week. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. The secret to summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com.